So glad to be here with you, and I, uh, I'm really thankful to have drawn this straw. We're talking about anxiety and stress this morning, and some of the lies that hang us up around those feelings. And, uh, and I, was, I was excited because I, I, was, uh, I was noticing uh, recently that, that uh, people who are not anxious are sort of like unicorns. You guys know how you, I mean, we are just, our culture, our world is full of anxiety and the feelings that go with it. And, uh, and you know, over the past uh, eight years, I've, I've only met a couple of people that, that I just never see anxious, and I'm so thankful for them. And, and recently, uh, one of uh, the college guys, his name is TJ, he started uh, ministering to his peers and, uh, and, and walking with Jesus in just a powerful way. And it's been so fun to watch him because he's doing things that would make most people anxious, right? Like every Wednesday, uh, he goes out, he invites uh, his friends to go out and share the gospel with strangers at Fresno State, right? And, and, and it's been so fun because he, he just goes with boldness. And if he's anxious, I don't know it. It's been so fun to watch. And he's, he's collected, man, dozens of phone numbers, got uh, non-believers plugged in with, uh, with uh, Bible studies, uh, hearing from the word of God and, uh, and hearing the gospel. And it's just been amazing, amazing. Hey, we can clap for that. It's okay. Yeah, I heard one person. We might as well join them. We're in this together, are we not? And so, but it's been so fun to watch because, man, everything that he does, it, it just seems to work. It's effective. And I think that we, uh, we sort of know this intuitively, that if, if we could just uh, get rid of this feeling of anxiety, if we could just walk confidently in the things that we were doing, we'd be more effective, right? But anxiety is a way of hanging us up. And it kind of reminds me of, uh, of the, old, um, the old Westerns, you know, the Clint Eastwood movies, and uh, they, they uh, go for the shootout, and one guy, his hand starts shaking, Right? because he's anxious, he's nervous, and you know that that guy always loses, right? But it's the guy with the, the steady hand who wins. Or, or the samurai, right? It's the, the, the samurai who's at peace and within himself and confident. He's still, and then with one stroke, he wins the battle. You guys, you guys with me? That meant if we could deal with anxiety in our life as a church, we, we could walk in victory. Or you think of the Terminator, right? He's, he's, he's totally robotic and rational, right? He's, he's uh, unflappable and unstoppable. Why? He's not anxious at all. He knows what he's come to do, right? But we, uh, we are not robots, and we do feel anxious, do we not? And we feel afraid of the troubles that we're going to face. We feel uncertain. We've, we feel unsure of ourselves, and, and, you know, when, when we start to feel anxious, we, we start to hesitate. We become avoidant. We become passive. We, we become afraid to speak up. And we become less centered. And, uh, and I would just say this. Uh, anxiety, just we have to start dealing with it in a healthy way. And not just a healthy way, but in a godly way. The Bible has stuff to say about anxiety. Jesus says, don't be anxious, right? He says, don't be anxious. And I would just submit to you that, that our cultural solutions to anxiety are not working. Uh, in fact, uh, psychologists have said that, that anxiety has become an epidemic in our culture. Do you know somebody who's anxious? I would be surprised if you didn't. Man, it, it's all over our world. But, but God has given us a solution in the person of Jesus. And so I, I want to start with the first part of our message, uh, undoing some of the, the roots of anxiety, uh, some of those things that kind of hang us up, that keep us from running forward after the things that God has put 
in front of us. And to do that, uh, I've got to address a couple, a couple lies that we've believed as Christians. We've, we've adopted from the culture that the enemy has sort of seeded into our hearts and our minds. You guys up for that? All right, all right. You know, I, uh, I was thinking about some of the things that have made me anxious over the years, and there's one thing that used to make me very anxious, uh, and some of you fellows are going to be with me, it's dancing. You guys, you guys remember, you remember that, right? That first dance, I remember I was, I think it was sixth grade, went to a sixth grade dance. I don't know if they do those anymore, but, but here's what happened, right? We're, we're in the, we're in the, 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 the gym uh, cafeteria and all the guys are along the wall nervously and all the girls are dancing and having fun. And I still remember one girl, she came over, she walked towards the wall and I'm like, oh, please don't, please don't ask me. Don't ask me, right? Don't ask me. I'm, I'm just feel, like, so nervous about being embarrassed. And she, uh, she goes to my, uh, my friend Trent, who's standing next to me, and she says, hey, Trent, do you want to come dance? And he, he's nervous as I am. And you know what he says? He says, well, I'm not a dancer. I'm not a dancer. And she, she just accepted it. She's like, well, I guess he doesn't dance. And she walked back and kept having fun. And you know, uh, I, uh, I used Trent's line uh, man, all of my teenage years and through most of my 20s. Like every wedding, like I think we got a photo of a wedding hall, right? You, you, you notice there's always tables lining, uh, lining the dance floor. And, and I was always rooted at the tables, right? And if somebody asked me to dance, you know what I say? I'm not a dancer. It's not really what I do. It's not who I am. God didn't make me that way, right? And I'm not a dancer. And it was a perfect excuse because who can argue with who you are? It's just who I am. And, and the truth is, is that, man, oftentimes... We use the wrong label, we use the wrong identity, and we use an identity that limits our experience of life. It limits our joy, it limits our ability to celebrate with our friends who are getting married. And I would submit to you that this is one of the things that we do when it comes to anxiety. We feel anxious and our, our anxiety drives our identity. For example, uh, you may have, have thought, I, I, just, I get nervous in big crowds of people now, I get, I get nervous around people I don't know. And, and, and what do we say? We say, I'm an introvert, right? I can't go. There's too many people. I'm going to get stressed out. Or, or maybe, you, maybe, uh, maybe conflict just makes you so anxious because of what's happened in the past in your family or in your friend groups. And, and so you say, man, I, 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 I got to avoid this conflict. So what do you say? You say, well, well I'm just a peacemaker. It sounds so good. Who could argue with that? Are you with me? Or, or maybe, maybe uh, the schedule makes you anxious, right? Like the, the busyness of a full calendar. And so what do you say? You say, I'm just a free spirit. Don't box me into your calendar, your schedule, your agenda. It's not who I am. And here's the thing. God, God does not want us to, to walk in an identity that limits our obedience to Christ. God does not want us to walk in an identity that, that's born of fearfulness or, or, or uh, the, the, shaky, the shaky hand. Why? Because it's so hard to walk in victory when we do that. Uh, did God give you the identity that you're carrying or is your anxiety driving it? And here's the lie. Here's the lie. The lie is this. I am an anxious person. You are not an anxious person. I, I know some of you are bothered that I'm telling you this, but, but you are not an anxious person. Like there's no place in, in God's word where he says you are anxious. There's no place. In fact, there's lots of people that feel anxious and act in anxiety. Martha was anxious. Job was anxious. David was anxious. Elijah was anxious. Um, 
Jonah was anxious. Man, we see anxiety all through the Bible. Moses, the most humble man who ever lived, he was anxious. But God doesn't say, you are anxious. What does he say? He says, you're a prophet. You're a king. You're my ambassador. You're a mouthpiece. You're a friend. You're a brother. You're, you're a son, a daughter. Are you guys with me? God doesn't, he doesn't call you anxious. In fact, Jesus says, he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. And he says, don't be anxious about your life and how much, how much of your life uh, has anxiety, right? He says, don't be anxious about any part of your life. And he says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Now, I just want to point out to you, he doesn't say don't feel anxious. In fact, he expects that we're going to be prone to anxiety. He expects that the troubles that we're facing are going to make us nervous, that that they're going to produce fear in us. In fact, that's why the Bible says so often, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. He he expects it. He doesn't dismiss it. In fact, uh, he recognizes that the non-anxious are like unicorns, right? He understands that it's normal for us to feel anxious, but he he, he insists that we don't believe the lie that we were made to be anxious. And and I would just submit to you that that too many of us have let anxiety drive our identity. And here's the nasty trap. Uh, There there are anxiety disorders. Man, you can be more prone to anxiety than the average person. You You can have a diagnosis. And it's so easy to begin to adopt your diagnosis as an identity. But God doesn't want that for you. I mean, that's the power of the lie. The enemy would pacify you. Like when you're anxious, what do you do? You, you, you think, well, I'll just wait until it goes away. I'll just wait until it goes away. But every day is full of trouble and reason for anxiety. That's what Jesus says. Today has enough trouble of its own. Do you want to be free from anxiety? Do you want to walk in freedom? The truth is, is I can't make the feeling go away, but I can remind you of who God says you are in Christ. And here's the truth. Very simply, through Christ, I am a child of God. And that's the, the, the baseline of our identity as believers. When you put your trust in Jesus, you're given a new name, a new family, a new identity. And it's powerful. I, um, I have the privilege uh, of uh, working with college students, and as a result, I officiate a lot of weddings. And uh, ironically enough, uh, weddings are one of four things that always make me anxious. <laughs> I, like, I feel anxious every time, right? And uh, you don't show it, but I feel it. And, uh, and so, but uh, I, love, I love officiating weddings all the same. And uh, one of the moments that I love in weddings is, uh, is this. It happens like 90% of the weddings I do. This conversation always happens either at the rehearsal dinner uh, or, uh, or before the ceremony. Uh, but the, the bride will come to her dad and, uh, and she'll say, Dad, after the, after the toast, we're going to do a father-daughter dance, right? And it's so funny to watch, right? It's, it's like I, I get a chuckle out of it every time because the dad, like, he'll always stop and it'll kind of pause, and you can, you can see the wheels spinning, right? And, and, and without fail, he'll say something to the effect of, I am not a dancer, but because it's your wedding, let's do it. Do you know what's happening there? Do you know what's happening in that moment? A, a true, greater identity is trumping a lesser identity. In fact, an identity that is true will always override an identity that is a lie. And so when you begin to adopt your identity as a child of God, when you begin to live by faith, trusting in Jesus, man, you have something that can, 
that can override the feeling, that can, that, that can cause you to, to say, I'm going to do it anyway, even though I feel more than butterflies, right? I feel like I'm going to throw up, right? It's an amazing thing. In fact, Jesus, he, he points at this all through the Sermon on the Mount. This, that passage that, that was read by our scripture reader uh, is in the middle of a sermon that he gave called the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters long. It's 111 verses. And he makes this identity statement 15 times. I, I, I took a photo of my Bible. I circled all the times that it says it. Like if something shows up this many times in three chapters, like the Lord wants you to pay attention to it. I think we have the photo. It's, it might be a little grand. You see those circles? And here's the identity statement that Jesus makes over and over and over again throughout this sermon. He says, your father, your father, not my father. He says, your father. If he's your father, then who are you? You're his child. Like Jesus, Jesus reconciles us to the Father through his death and resurrection. And we put our trust in him. We are made right with our heavenly Father. And we can come to him. And he'll meet our needs. That's why Jesus says, uh, don't, don't be small in your faith, but seek first the what? Whose kingdom is it? It's your father's. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. This identity changes how you move through anxiety. Now, practically, what does this look like? Let me give you a suggestion, and then we'll move to the next slide. Practically, this looks like refusing to think or speak the phrase in any form, I am an anxious person. Do not be like me and miss out on celebrating uh, with your friends. Live in life to the fullest. Refuse, refuse to think it and refuse to speak it. Crucify the phrase, put it to death. Uh, refuse to think and speak the phrase, I am an anxious person, so that you can begin to pick up the identity that God has spoken over you as believers in Jesus. All right, here's the second lie. The second lie is this, and don't be, don't be mad at me, but it's, tr it's true, it's a lie. I can't help how I feel. I can't help how I feel. And this one is insidious. It's destructive because it's almost true. And we've seen it, right? We've seen it happen. If you have little kids or you've ever been at the grocery store, mom says, no, you can't have a piece of candy. And the kid is overcome with an emotion. Disappointment turns to lying on the floor, screaming, crying, the pounding of fists, weeping, gnashing of teeth, all of the above. It, it's, it's as if their life is over. And what we know scientifically is their brains aren't developed. They can't process the disappointment. They can't deal with the emotion. They, they are not in control. They can't help how they feel. And, and you know it's true because the mom, she'll, she'll say, when we get home, we have lots of candy. But reason doesn't work. Man, because the emotions have a way of overriding the things that we know are true. I had this experience personally. Uh, we do family movie night. We were watching Clifford the Big Red Dog, uh, the, the live version. Uh, he's so cute. Look at him. Clifford the Big Red Dog. And he was playing at our house, and we're watching this movie. And it's a, a completely predictable movie. You know, Clifford, there's, there's a, a crisis, and he's in danger. But you know he's going to be all right. You know he's going to end up with a family. I knew it. It was logical. I'm reasonable. But my kids start crying, 
And then I start crying, and me and the twins, we're like bawling on the couch. And then I look left, and my wife is just laughing at us. <laughs> Cold-hearted, come on. But the whole time I'm crying, I'm like, I don't know why I'm crying. I, don't, I know Clifford's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. But, but this is the trap, right? And we know from science that, that man, once these, these emotions get triggered in our, in our brains, a lot of the times we can't reason our way out of them. This is why when somebody tells you, it'll be okay, you're safe, it, it takes a while for you to wind down. The, logic, the logical part of your brain switches off and, and you, you can't help how you feel, except the Bible says that you can. It's not true. It's just that you weren't, you weren't meant to, uh, to combat your anxiety, to resist your anxiety, to address your anxiety in the flesh. You weren't meant to do it on your own. You weren't meant to do it in your own power, but rather by the spirit of God. I mean, listen to the instructions from Philippians. Paul says to this church, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And then I love this, he says, the Lord is at hand. In other words, he's close. He's right there. And then he says again, he says what? Do not be anxious about anything. And then he says this, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and this is the result that will happen in your life. The peace of God, which surpasses all of your reasoning, all of your logic, all of those thoughts, will do what? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now notice what it doesn't say. He doesn't say my logic will guard my heart and my mind, right? He doesn't say uh, the structure of my life, going to bed early will guard my heart and my mind. He doesn't say my positive attitude will guard my heart and my mind. He doesn't say my, my good, encouraging friendships will guard my heart and my mind. Does he say any of those things? No. What does he say? He says the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. And when you're at peace with the Father, you can access the peace of God. You can come to the Father and experience his presence guarding your heart and your mind. And that's the truth. God's peace can guard your hearts and your minds. He'll guard, he'll guard my, hearts and my, my heart and my mind. It's an amazing thing about God. And so it begs the question, how does God guard our hearts and our minds? Because it feels like I'm losing the battle in my mind. Anybody ever feel like you're losing the battle in your mind and in your heart? You get discouraged and you don't know what to do? Well, the Bible says you talk to him in your anxiety. I love this about the God that we, we serve, the God that we can know, is that God leaves the door open to people who are full of feelings of anxiety. Is that not good news? He says, come to me, I'm at hand. He says, come to me. Do you pray about your anxiety? Do you seek the Lord? Do you run to the Father in your anxiety? Now, some of you I know are sitting there and you're thinking, you can't pray away a feeling. Don't tell me to pray away a feeling. It doesn't work, I've tried it. And I totally agree. You can't pray away a feeling. You can, you can no more pray away a feeling than you can pray that your arms will disappear. It's a, it's a part of, who, it's a part of your, your physiology. Feelings are, are part of how God made us. It's part of our physical experience. But, but does the Bible say we're supposed to pray away our anxiety? Is that what it says? No. It doesn't say pray away your anxiety. 
In fact, I would submit to you, it doesn't say pray away your feelings. It says pray yourself into the presence of God. Pray yourself into his presence. Remind yourself. Rejoice in the Lord. Remind yourself of who your dad is. Celebrate that he saved you and, and reconciled you to him. I mean, celebrate who God is. You pray yourself into the God who is our refuge. You get close to him in prayer. And I, I just want to challenge you here this morning because I think that a lot of the times when we're feeling anxious and we're feeling overwhelmed and we're fe- feeling weary and heavy laden, we sort of pray halfway. Uh, we sort of pray like, uh, like it's like building a, a piece of I- Ikea furniture without the instructions, right? Like you can do it, but you end up frustrated, angry, and maybe your knuckles are a little bloody, right? It takes longer than, than you have the patience for. And we do this with prayer. We pray, we pray in our anxiety, Lord, take it away. But what does he say? How do we pray in faith? How do we pray in obedience to God's word? How do we pray rightly when we feel anxious? And I just want to give you three things simply and, uh, and quickly and uh, I'll let you meditate, it on, meditate on it on your own. But there's three real marks of faithful prayer that we see here in this passage. Uh, the first one is this, we rejoice in the Lord. We remind ourselves of who God is, of his love, of his power and his strength. That's why Jesus, he says, don't be anxious about anything. And then he reminds us of who our father is. He, he pays attention to every bird. How much more does he pay attention to you? He clothes every flower in the field. How much more will he clothe you? He says, trust him. Don't be, don't be small in your faith. Remember, rejoice in your father. The second thing he tells us to do is he says, make your request known to God. Don't just tell God you feel anxious. Tell God about all the things that are making you feel anxious. Make your request known to God. And number three, do it with thanksgiving. A lot of times we pray with doubt. God, I, if you do this, that'd be really helpful, but I know you probably won't. That's the attitude of our prayers. But, but in Philippians 4, it says, do it with thankfulness. Remember how God has already shown up in your life in the person of Jesus and crucify the lies. Put to death that, you, that, that idea that you are your anxiety and run to the Father. Like get in his presence. It's an amazing thing. I mean, after all, this is how uh, the Bible describes spirit-filled people, people who are, are saved and, and secure in their relationship with their heavenly Father. Listen to this. I love this verse from 2 Timothy 1. It says this, for the spirit God gave us does not make us what? fearful or timid, but, but he's given us a spirit of power and love and judgment. Isn't that good news? That you can be filled with a different spirit. You can pray into the presence of God. You can, you can pray into God's protection and power and love. And, and we've got to put down that identity of fearfulness to do it. And, and here's the good news, is if you begin to do just these two things, uh, you'll find that you have an outlet for feelings of anxiety. Uh, you'll find that you become less avoidant and less passive and less unstable in situations that are uncertain and challenging. It'll change you. It'll change you. Now, will it change you all at once? No, because this is something that we do daily. He says, uh, don't be anxious for tomorrow, right? He says, for today has enough troubles of its own. Man, you come to the Lord daily with the things that make you feel anxious. And here's the amazing thing that will happen as you do this. Uh, you'll, you'll end up uh, carrying heavier burdens. Is that good news? You're like, no, 
that sounds terrible. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain anxious because, man, I don't need more stress in my life. And I sympathize with you. I, I have a busy, busy, full life. It's, it's pretty wild. But, but here's the cool thing about pressure. Here's the cool thing about stress. Here's the, the, the amazing thing about burdens. The Bible says that, that like grapes in a wine press, it produces something good. You guys, you guys with me? This is what the Bible says. He says, we're not supposed to avoid stress, but we're supposed to walk with God faithfully in it. Now, to be honest, uh, th- this past month, I've carried some, some burdens. Uh, man, people have shared some really heavy things with me. And, uh, and you know, um, I, uh, uh, I remember I was coming, uh, coming back to church for men's study Tuesday night uh, a couple weeks ago. And I'm just like, I'm, pr- I'm crying out to the Lord for, for some brothers and sisters in Christ who are carrying just impossible burdens. And I'm just like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, it's like I'm watching Clifford again. I'm just crying, you know. I'm like, Lord, you gotta sh- if you don't show up, I can't help them. All right, that's what I was praying. And, and you know, uh, man, these burdens that, that these believers are, are, are carrying, man, I was happy to carry them with them, but they were burdens. They were a burden to my time, a burden to my mind, a burden to my spirit, uh, a burden to my physical energy, right? When you're thinking about something heavy for a long time, you start to get worn out. Are you guys with me? You ever carry people's burdens and get worn, worn down? And, and here's, here's a question for you. Do you think I resented them sharing those things with me? Like, did I, did I like avoid their phone calls because I knew they were going to tell me something hard? Of course not. I mean, it's, it's my privilege and delight to carry them. Why? Because, man, when I was an enemy of God, when I was far from God, when I was lost and broken and hurting, what did God do for me? He, he picked up a cross and he died on it for my sins so that I could be right with the Father. Right? He loved me deeply in it. God loves these people deeply and so do I. And the love of Christ, it compels me to pick up my cross Daily, daily. That's, man, that's what we're called to be as Christians, not people who avoid stress. And, and the enemy would have us, have us believe this lie. He would, have, he would have every believer in the room believe this, this lie. It is not biblical at all. The lie is this, I should avoid stress. I should avoid stress. The truth is the Bible is not anti-stress. It's not anti-pressure. It's not anti-work. It's not anti-burden. Not not at all. The Bible is anti-sin. And a lot of the, the heaviness and the weariness that we're feeling is a result of carrying guilt and shame and being emptied by chasing after sinful things. But, but you will never be overburdened or heavy laden, man, walking in God's presence. Because real love, real love costs us comfort, does it not? Like real love it puts us under the pressure of the cross, of carrying crosses and burdens to love people well. And if you'll deal with your anxiety God's way, you'll become as bold as, lion, unaf- as bold as lions, unafraid to face the burdens that God has asked us to carry. And, and I would just submit to you this, that uh, the, the devil uh, wants nothing less than Christians uh, who are willing to carry burdens who are willing to pick up their cross daily, who are unafraid of suffering. Because as soon as we're, we're unafraid of suffering and discomfort and the feeling of anxiety, the feeling of being overwhelmed, the feeling of a calendar that is too full, uh, what could we do to love our neighbors and, and proclaim the gospel? 
What could we do? Man, I can't wait to see every believer in our church unafraid to suffer, unafraid of burdens, unafraid of stress. Now, uh, it's all over the Bible. It, it, was, it was easy to pull verses. I want to share with you some of the things that God asks us to carry on behalf of others. Just quickly. Can we just bullet through them? Boom, boom, boom. All right. So check this out. Uh, the Bible, it, it commands us to take responsibility for our families. Look at this. It says in 1 Timothy 5, it says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own households has denied the faith and is worse than a what? An unbeliever. He's like, if you're not willing to carry that burden, then, then do you even believe in me? Because I'm your father. Like, I care about your family. They're my family. He's like, care about them. Carry the burden. And then, and then the Bible commands us to take responsibility for correcting the sin of other believers. Not non-believers, but believers. How, how many of us feel anxious with that, about that idea? You want me to correct? You want me to do what? But listen to what it says. Dear brothers and Sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently, you're not, you're not, being, you're not dropping a hammer, you're being gentle and humble, humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. You see that? The Bible says uh, we should take responsibility to carry each other's burdens. Just one verse later, it says this, share each other's burdens, carry them. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. I love the old uh, Christmas hymn. It's Christmas in March today. His law is love and his gospel is peace, right? Man, we love people when we'll shoulder burdens with them. But the enemy would have us believe that we're not supposed to be under such great pressure, that we're not supposed to be uh, struggling and carrying yokes. But, but, uh, but it's loving, it's godly and it's good for the world when we do. It's so good for the world and it changes us in such, such incredible ways. Now, even if you are, are unable or unwilling to, to carry the responsibilities that God has put before you, uh, even if you're unable at this time to carry burdens, uh, it would be foolish for you to try and avoid stress and pressure and trouble because we see I mean, throughout the scriptures and even in, the own, in Jesus' own words that, that we should expect trouble. What does he say in John 16, 33? He says this, I have told you all this so that you may have peace. So he, he teaches them how to be in his presence. And then he says this, here on the earth you will have many what? Trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus, Jesus he, doesn't, he doesn't say uh, you should uh, reduce your workload. He doesn't say you should uh, cut things out of your calendar. Like he doesn't say you should, you should avoid people who are carrying heavy burdens that you don't know how to solve. Like he doesn't say any of those things, does he? No. Because, because what Jesus knows is that the enemy is lying to you. You were not meant to solve your, your feelings of, of overwhelmedness, the heaviness in your life by avoiding stress. Because uh, the, the truth is, is that if you're empty, uh, it doesn't, it's not going to take much pressure for you to, to be crushed. You know, you think of it this way, right? I have two cans here. One, one's uh, open and empty, and the other is sealed and full. You see that? And a lot of the times, this is what we do when we start to feel overwhelmed, right? Is we, uh, we begin to, uh, to shut off, to get passive, to get avoidant, right? 
we, we disconnect and disengage. And how do we do it? We go to the golf course. We turn on the TV. We scroll the internet. We go to the bottle. And, and all of these things, they're missing a key component. They're, 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 they're missing us, man, pressing into the presence of the Father. And what happens? On the golf course, somebody calls you with a work emergency, right? It's not a big deal, right? But it doesn't take much if you're empty. And all of a sudden, something heavier hits us. We, we thought we could avoid it, but we're not in control. And we're crushed. We're broken. Two fingers. I'm not even that strong. <laughs> but, but, but what the enemy doesn't tell us, right, what the enemy doesn't want you to know is that you can't avoid stress. You can't avoid pressure. That, that you, can, you can manage and mitigate it, but at the end of the day, what God wants for you is for you to be filled. He wants rest for your soul. I couldn't squeeze hard enough to crush this can. Why? Because he who is greater within me is greater than he who is in the world. You guys with me? And this is, this is the gospel, that, that God meets us in our anxiety. He meets us in our stress, and we find rest for our souls. How do you do that? Let's look at the Bible. The truth is this. I find rest in doing the will of the Father. I find rest in doing the will of the Father. It's, it's, not, it's not putting down all of your burdens. It's not putting down all of your stress. It's just carrying the right ones. It's just doing the next thing that God has asked you to do. It's taking the next step that God has asked you to take. It's getting into his presence and hearing from him. And, and the amazing thing is, is when, when you're walking with God, he leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads you beside still waters that do what? Restore your soul. There's this uh, scripture where Jesus speaks about this. It says this in Matthew 11, starting in verse 25, it says this. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father. I praise you, Father. He's rejoicing in the Lord. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned. People who are operating in their own strength and cleverness, man, they always forget to go to the Father. They squeeze them in at the end of the day. They don't open their Bible in the morning. They don't come to him in prayer and anxiety. They don't recognize that their anxiety is an opportunity uh, to walk into the presence of God. But he says this, he's revealed these things to little children. And then he says this to us, he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? And then he says this, it's so interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you. What is a yoke? You farmers know it's an, it's an agricultural tool that, that's for what? For work. It's like, get to work. Just do the right work. Like, when you go to work this week, talk to God about it. How would you have me honor you in my work? He'll speak to it. When, when you're serving your family, uh, don't live to, to please your wife and her expectations. Instead, live to please the Father and your wife will be pleased. Man, ask God, God, what would you have me do in my, my family Take my yoke upon you, he says, and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's like, I'll fill you up. It's from the inside out. I'm pressed, but not crushed, right? I'm persecuted, but not abandoned. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. The apostle Paul, he said uh, that, 
Outwardly, our bodies are wasting away, says this to the church, but inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. You guys see that? This is what God wants for you in Christ. This is what God has called you to in Christ. Let me end with this, this story. I, um, uh, I, I, just a confession, I'm actually very poor at managing my stress. Very bad at it, not good. Uh, I'm not good at managing my schedule. If you've ever had an appointment with me, you probably know, right? You're like, this guy is not so skilled at this, right? But, but it's just not a strength. I don't, I don't know what to tell you, forgive me. And uh, my, my, uh, my friends and the people that I work with, uh, they've noticed uh, that I'm carrying some, some burdens. Uh, my admin, Dean, she's the first one to point it out. At the end of January, she came to me, she said, I've been praying. And this is awkward for me to say, I know she felt anxiety, but she, she said it anyway, right? She pushed through it and, uh, because she's my sister in the Lord. And she said, hey, I, I, your pace, I don't think it's sustainable. You need to make sure you're spending time with your family, right? I'm like, man, thank you for sharing that. I took it to heart. Uh, my buddy Lewis, every Monday night at the gym, he'll say something to this effect. Hey, you're working like a dog. When are you going to slow down, right? And I always argue with him, uh, but I take it to heart. Uh, my brother Kyle, uh, Pastor Kyle, he, uh, he came to me a couple weeks ago. He said, hey, it seems like you're a little overwhelmed. Can I help you with anything? We had a great conversation, and I took it to heart. Ooh, perfect. Thank you. Um, I took it to heart. And, uh, and here's the thing. Did I listen to them? Yeah. But what did I put down? Not a lot. But what I did is I came, I came to the Lord Jesus and I said, Lord, what would you have me put down? What would you have me carry? What would you have me give to somebody else? And, and man, he spoke into those questions. And, and I listened to him. I did put one thing down. Uh, praise, praise the Lord. But, but here's the thing. Here's how, here's how I know that I've come to Jesus and I've taken up his yoke. Uh, here's how I know that I'm walking in obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus just does what he sees the Father doing. It's because in, in my marriage, uh, it's easier and lighter than it was last year. Easy. Our calendar is crazy, but our conversations are easy and they're light. Uh, the, the burdens that, that people lay before me, uh, man, five years ago, I would have been wrecked. But you know what? Today, they're easy and they're light. Now, why is that? It's not because of anything great in me. I'm just a vessel. Uh, but, but what am I doing? Man, I'm, I'm quick to come to the Father. And that's what God wants for us as a church. Amen. Now, um, let me just close, close with this and we'll pray and, and receive communion together. There are uh, some of you in the room who've been dealing and, and struggling with man, deep feelings of anxiety, deep stress, and, uh, and you've started to blame God. You resent God for the, the pain that you're walking through, for the trials that you're walking through, through the sorrows that you're walking through, and you just feel angry with him. And, uh, and that's what the enemy wants you to believe. That, that God has abandoned you. But, but it's not the truth. The truth is, is that to deal with our anxiety and to deal with our stress and to lay down our burdens that are heavy, heavy laden, it requires us to humble ourselves, to confess our sinfulness to the Lord and run to the Father. To recognize that he is not against us. 
He is for us and he will help us. But, but I, think that, uh, I think that because, because we're sinful and we're proud and we think we're not the problem, we blame God and then we can't come to him. And what would it look like if we, if we, we, we quit blaming God for the stuff that's hard in our life and we, we came to him and we said, Lord, would you help me with this? Like he would meet us in that. And here's the amazing thing. I can't wait to see it in our church. We would become a church that, that, that are as bold as lions. And, and not just as bold as lions, but, but as gentle as lambs, willing to be led to the slaughter. Willing to lay down our lives for our neighbors and our family and our friends. That's what the Lord Jesus wants for you and for me. Let me, uh, let me pray for us and then, then we'll receive communion. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we say, you're worthy of our obedience and our attention and our affection. And we just confess before you uh, that we are we're sinful and proud. And we believe uh, that, that we're not the problem. We, we believe that, that you've abandoned us, that you've let us down too often. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to repent of that attitude. God, that we would remember the gospel, that you laid your life, you, you sent your son to lay down his life on a tree, broken and bloodied, bearing the sins of our lives that we might be made right with the Father. God, I pray that you would help us to remember that you're, you're at hand, you are near Lord Jesus, that we might be people that hear your voice, uh, not once in a while, but every, day, every morning when we open your word and seek you in prayer. God, that we might be renewed day by day, even as the pressures of life are wearing us out emotionally, physically, but not spiritually. God, bless these people who are weary and heavy laden. Bless them by encountering your presence as we remember what you did for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.